you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 19. And Our goal this morning is to wrap up what we began a couple of weeks ago as we started to, to take a look. We began, if you remember, when we first uh, opened up Acts 19 to talk about spiritual vitality, uh, you know, having life in the Spirit. We sing songs about there's power in the name of Jesus, but a lot of people... That hasn't been their experience. It's just words. And for those people, and for some who are maybe struggling with those concepts and ideas, part of the issue may be our spiritual vitality. Vitality is simply a way of saying life. Is there life in your spirit? Is your spirit living? Are you are you hearing and experiencing the things that God's word? tells us about. And when we began in chapter 19, that's what we talked about. You remember we talked first about Paul's cultural adaptability, that he was able to bridge cultural gaps. Listen, that's not changing the message. You guys understand what I mean? It's not taking the gospel and changing it so people like it. You can't do that. When you do that, there's no power. There's no life. There's no juice. It's dead. So, but being culturally adaptable means he, when he came into a situation, a neighborhood, a group of people, he looked for ways that he could connect with them. Ways that they could begin to develop relationship. If he came into a group and they were all fishermen, he would talk about fishing. Looking for an inn, a way to begin to talk to them about being a fisher of men, perhaps. Or if they were hunters, looking for a way to, to talk about hunting, to connect. To, because ministry and reaching out to people with the love of Christ requires us to be involved in people's lives. And so he was adaptable to that. He looked for ways to connect with people. To the Jews, he would connect about Jewish things. To the Gentiles, he would connect about Gentile things. Each giving him opportunity to share with them the love of Christ. And that was part of what kept him spiritually alive. We saw the next example, a guy named Apollos. Remember, super gifted, amazing guy, but he he still needed to be taught some things. He didn't have a full understanding of everything that was going on uh, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Apollos shows us is that we got to remain teachable. Have you ever tried to teach someone or to fill a cup that's already full? Have you tried to teach somebody who already knows everything? It's a difficult concept, right? Uh, I have experienced that a time or two in coaching where you try to coach somebody, but they already have all the answers. They already know it all. They already know it, and, and so I see it in their eyes. You know, the little twinkle like, oh, please. So you can't fill a cup that's already full. The second point in our spiritual vitality or life of the Spirit is to remain teachable. That every man is my teacher. Remember we talked about that. Every man is my teacher. I can hear or receive from anyone. The Spirit of God spoke through a donkey. It can speak through you, me, a homeless guy on the street. It doesn't matter if we'll have ears to hear the message God wants us to receive. We will receive that message. We have to remain teachable. 
The third thing we saw was in Aquila and Priscilla. You remember Aquila and Priscilla? They were willing to serve. Wherever they went, they, they found a way to plug in, connect. They saw a need, they became the answer to that need. If they saw an issue in the, in the, in the, uh, Ecclesia, the congregation, the gathering together of God's people, then they became an answer to that need. They were willing to serve. And that was a test or an example of the spiritual life in them. And then finally, you remember there's a group of 12 disciples who, who didn't have the Holy Spirit. And the last thing we see is a willingness to be empowered by the Spirit. Ultimately, what they say is we never heard about a Holy Spirit, but if God's got something that I don't have, I want it. If there's something about the Lord that I'm not, I haven't experienced, I haven't plugged into, and it's here on the page of Scripture, I want that to be a part of my life. Willingness to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what do we see? We see in this attitude or this life, the, the living power of Jesus Christ flowing through the life of a, of a believer is someone who is culturally adaptable, teachable, willing to serve, and willing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's how chapter 19 began. And we saw that as that those people ministered, as those people served, as those people shared, we see God's Word coming alive, and it led to incredible miracles happening everywhere. You remember? I, I talked about the fact that they were unusual miracles. When a, when a rag used to wipe the sweat off of Paul's face would touch a person who was sick, they would be healed. Nowhere in Scripture did God say, now everybody start selling rags of your sweat for healing. That wasn't in... What it was was an unusual miracle the Spirit describes through the Word of God that was worked through the time when when men and women were gathered together and their spirits were alive and they were empowered by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God and they just served. And these things naturally outpoured. People were healed by coming in contact with His apron and demons were cast out just by being in the presence of Him. And then there was a group of people that saw it and they said, man, this is cool. Look at the power. Maybe we can cash in on this. So they took the name of Jesus and they tried to cast out a demon. You remember? Seven sons of Sceva, they went out and they tried to cast out a demon and they, they're talking to the demon, which is a little bit freaky even for me. And they're talking to the demon and they say, we cast you out by the, by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demon said, you remember, Jesus I know, Paul I know, we don't know you. And they beat him. And they ran out and everybody saw it and everybody knew it. And you remember what happened? And the fear of the Lord did what? It came upon the church. It says, and those who had believed, feared, and confessed. See, the, the people got a, just a, a small, a tiny glimpse of the power and the majesty and the glory and the dominion and the holiness of God, which we tend to lose sight of. And they saw it. And when they saw it, not the people out there, the church. When the church saw it, she confessed. And when the church saw it, she saw things in her life that was separating her from a relationship with God, so she got rid of all those things. You remember? They started burning their idols and their books on magic. And because that was a, Ephesus was a strong seed of occultic life. That was how they, they made their living. Everybody was into it. 
Diana was very closely associated with the, with the goddess of magic. It was all part and parcel of the same stuff. And so they started to recognize these things in their life that were holding them back from the power of God working in their life. And so they got rid of them. Not out there. In here. She got rid of them. The bride of Christ. And she purged. And the Scripture says as a result, a a revival began. Because revival doesn't start out there. It starts in here. Revival doesn't start in the lost. It starts in the saved. The saved get on track. They start to turn away from all those things that are slowing them down and to focus on that which truly matters. Their relationship with Christ. And they move away from a concept that says, I know intellectually that Jesus exists. Because the Bible tells us knowing that Jesus exists doesn't save anybody. The demons know Jesus exists and they're still lost. Right? It's not intellectual assent. What is it? It's this little thing that Jesus did. It's this little thing we see in the example of the lives of all the disciples. Just just a, a small difference. And that small difference really ends up being a really big deal. That small difference is simple. Jesus came to His disciples and He said, Follow me. And they followed him. They didn't just say a word or, or, or say a prayer. Their lives were then committed to following Jesus, right? The, the disciples laid down their nets. They, they walked away from whatever would separate them from being with him. And they just followed him. They did what he did. They learned from watching Him, from hearing Him, from seeing Him. And as Jesus taught them this way, which is a very Hebraic model, the the come and see, come and live, come and walk with Me and learn from Me. And we discover that's exactly what Jesus declared, right? All you who labor and are heavy laden, come unto Me and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. As He's talking to the people, come, walk, see, I'm gentle, I'm meek. Come and, and, and see how I deal with the, the, the religious and the other issues in life. Come and be a part. And so they made their life after that. John would write to us in First John, I think around chapter 4, he would lay out for us, if you are to be called by the name of Jesus Christ, you ought to walk like He walked. We follow Him, right? We are followers of Christ. And now, the, the, the concept of being a Christian, isn't that what it's about? We follow Him. It's not about our performance or what we do. It's just that we made a choice. Receiving Christ was about following Christ. Being with Him. And so we see this this empowerment taking place. We see the church growing. We see God establishing incredible things there in Ephesus. The vitality, spiritual vitality, bursting the life. The church reviving again. Turning away from dead religion to a living relationship, right? A relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord Almighty. And so, as they turn to that, man, there's incredible things began to take place. In fact, chapter 19, verse 20 says, So the Word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And God's Word just begins to pour out. So when we begin to understand the concept of being spiritually alive, 
And that spiritual life, that vitality, leads us into a place of confession and repentance and an invigoration of the Holy Spirit empowering believers to see their lives radically transformed. Then what are we expecting next? Well, that's what the rest of chapter 19 tells us. We begin reading together in verse 21. It says, And when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he went into Macedonia, or he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Now about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. But moreover, you see and hear, not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, This Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised, and her magnificence destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath, and they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. And having seized Gaius and Aristarchus and Macedonians, Paul's travel companions, and when Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and Most of them didn't even know why they had come together. And so they drew Alexander out of the multitude, and the Jews put him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers nor of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it should be determined in a lawful assembly. Or we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we may give account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we open Your Word, Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see, Jesus, what Your Word is declaring to us, what You are are saying, what we can read and see on the pages of Scripture. God, I pray that it might come alive to us, Lord, and that You would instruct us as we just lean our, our ears to You, Lord God, as we give our heart, Lord Jesus, to receive. Lord, we ask Your blessing 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we see these men and women with spiritual vitality pouring out. The church herself repenting and turning away from some things that were holding them back. And the Word of God spreading everywhere. Churches all around Asia. What this means is everywhere in what we know today as modern day Turkey was being filled with churches. People's lives were dramatically changing. It is as though they were coming together and they were calling out that the Lord would bring the, the rain of His grace. And, and so we see the, the rain falling and God's people growing. Just like, uh, just like a garden. When, when Kathy and I first came to Idaho, one of the things Kathy wanted to do was have a garden. And, and we started like crazy people from California and tried to do this huge thing. And, and that didn't work out so well. And now, four years later, we have this small garden that works for us, huh, hon? And in this small garden, we, we water that small garden maybe not in the smartest of ways, but we use a rainbird. And a rainbird waters the garden. But you know what happens when we water the garden and we planted those seeds and we put in those, those plants as we water the garden, something else came up with it. Right? You have all these, these plants that are growing, but you have all this extra stuff coming up. I didn't plant none of that. It just grows wherever the water hits. And we see the same thing happening here in the church at Ephesus. We see the water of the Holy Spirit being poured out. The Word of God being poured out. People are coming to faith. But at the same time all of that's happening, the weeds are growing too. The weeds are there in their midst. The weeds are are coming up and being a part. And as we see the, the power of God and the Spirit of God being spread, we can begin to also imagine the next thing that we're going to see is the weeds. The attempts of the enemy, the evil one, to, to corrupt what's going on. What's happening. The fruitfulness of that garden. And what we see in the beginning here in verse 21 and 22, you see Paul experiencing a great satisfaction in the accomplishment of the Word of God being poured out mightily. Look what he said. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit. When I have passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he's talking about Greece and Galatia, to go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. He's making plans. Man, the Word of God's moving. Things are happening. And he's making plans for going back to Jerusalem and eventually going to Rome. Later on, he's going to talk about going to Spain. He's always looking for where to go next, where to take the Word of God, where to spread out. So Paul is is enjoying the sprouts of the garden. He's enjoying the fruitfulness as it begins to come forth. But we all know as the fruitfulness of the garden begins to pour forth, the weeds come too. And that's what we see taking place in, in verse 23 through 27. We see the weeds sprouting forth and the, and the seeds of persecution had been sown and now they are bringing forth fruit. Look what it says. About that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Why did they call it that? Well, back in the beginning, I mean, they, they did first call believers Christians at Antioch, but, but they used to call those who followed Jesus the way. Don't you see it was about the way they walked. 
the way they talk. Jesus said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So how do we get to the Father? By doing what? We're following Jesus, right? We follow Him. And He leads us. He leads us. He shows us the way. We are, are, are following the examples that Jesus Christ laid out for us. To as many as received Him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to those who did what? Believed on His name. When we believe on His name, we will follow Jesus. When we believe on His name, then we will follow... You can't put one before the other, right? Are you guys with me? I have to have faith. And as I have faith, then there is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that takes place in my life. And I begin to recognize. I look around and go, Oop, this isn't right, this isn't right. This is not how I learned Jesus. This is not how I learned Jesus. This is not how I learned Jesus. And we begin to follow Him. So they began to rise up against the way. The way people were. And what was the special thing about the way? As people's lives began to change, they started to turn away from junk. Right? Look, Paul did not ever stand up and start preaching about the evils of going to the bar. All he said was, follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, He's probably not going to take you there. If you follow Jesus, there are places that He's not going to take you. And so as people began to follow the Lord, their lives began to be transformed and things started to change. In the Welsh Revival... As people came to the Lord, in a year's time, all the bars in that neighborhood where the revival broke out were closed. Not because anybody stood up and said, close the bars, this is terrible, you should not ever do that stuff. No, that's not what happened. What happened is people were following the Lord and they didn't have time for that anymore. What happened in Ephesus is people are following the Lord and they're not buying idols anymore. And they're not gathering up all those things from Diana and they're not partaking in all the feasts of Diana. And because they're doing that, the businesses around Ephesus are beginning to feel it. You know what I mean? He didn't, he didn't have to preach, nor do we have to preach about a pile of do's and don'ts. Let me just give you the do. Follow Jesus. Follow Him. Go after Him. Jesus said, make disciples, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them what? The things I have commanded you. It's enough just to focus on following Him. Follow Jesus. Be who Jesus is asking you to be. Do what Jesus is asking you to do. It will line up with the Word of God and your life will then begin to line up with that. And things will naturally change. Other things stop being so important in your life and you start laying aside those areas. And that's what happened. It said a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made shrines of Diana and brought no small profit to the craftsmen, he called them together. Workers of similar occupation. He said, men... Do you know that we have our prosperity by this trade, by selling idols and doing these things? And do you see and hear? Not only in Ephesus, but all around Asia, Paul has persuaded people. People's lives were changing. They stopped buying the idols. 
They stopped buying the silver stuff. They stopped doing it. Not because somebody started saying, here's how you do it. But simply because they were following Jesus, they're doing what Jesus was asking them to do. Their lives were becoming spiritually alive. They were confessing and repenting from areas in their life that they knew didn't line up with who Christ was. And that began to change the economy around them. And all of a sudden, they're complaining. The weeds. The weeds. The thorns. Jesus talked about Four soils of the heart. You remember? In one he said the weeds grew up and choked out the fruitfulness. The thorns. The cares of this world, he said. The cares of this world. But when you are following Jesus, those begin to drop off of us. They begin to fall off like like weights that we're shedding as we run a race. And you feel more energized as you let those things go and as you follow Jesus. And so this is what they're doing. This is what's happening. So so this persecution begins. Listen to what he says. He says, not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but the temple of the great goddess Diana is, is going to be hated and its magnificence destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worship. So Demetrius is stirring them up. What's he stirring them up about? Three things. Their income has been affected. When the church revives, when lives are transformed, when people change, the economy of the world will suffer. Why? Because she's not going to waste her time with those things. She's not going to be caught up. What happens if... If there's a revival in the church and the Spirit of God is moving and people are following Jesus, will it change the things we read? Will it change the things we watch? Will it change the things we utilize for entertainment? Will those things change? And if they do, will that affect the economy? It'll affect the economy in those areas. Just like it's affecting the economy for Demetrius. Their income is affected. He's also complaining about the impact of Paul. Lives are being changed and people are not coming into the shop anymore. People aren't aren't partaking in these things. People aren't doing these things. We're seeing lives change. And that impact is not just in our town, but all around Asia. The Spirit of God is moving. Incredible things are happening. And the last thing he says is, think about how important this worship of Diana is. Some of your Bibles may read Artemis. Artemis and Diana are the same. Artemis is a Greek name. The Roman name is Diana. And the Artemis of Ephesus was different than Artemis in Greek mythology. The Artemis of Ephesus was a meteor that had fallen out of the sky, was considered to be a gift from Zeus. And so they distorted the worship of Artemis, which was false worship anyway, and they made it all about debauchery. Sexual fulfillment, partying, drugs, whatever you could do. And they name a whole month after Artemis. And they would have a whole celebration that lasted the whole month. And they would have all these parties in the street. It was just a wild, crazy time. of an, uh, The worship of Artemis was all about exclaiming your freedom to do whatever you want, however you want, any way you want. And it was being affected. Was being affected. Do you know it's kind of a crazy number, and uh, maybe it's higher now. I don't know, but at one time, the pornography industry 
was earning $1,000 a second. Can you imagine that? And that's been a number of years ago. It, it, it could be more. I don't know. But the similar concept. It's like that industry being impacted because people's lives were changing and they're turning away from that stuff. And they're turning to the Lord. And the people who are being affected are raising a ruckus. And it's during the month when they're, when they're having their special worship of Diana. So there's a lot of people in the streets. The streets in, in Ephesus, the main streets, probably as wide as this sanctuary. And as almost as far as you can see. It goes from one end of Ephesus all the way down to where the bay was. And it passes every major building. The library, the brothel, and, and the theater down at the end. And so, when people were enjoying this time, when they were celebrating with this God, it was just wild time in the, in the streets, everywhere you looked, wherever you looked. Probably the closest thing I could, I could use it to relate to us is spring break. You guys heard of that, right? And it means a number of different things depending on where you are. Spring break in Palm Springs is is a lot different than, than spring break in Fort Lauderdale. Well, sort of. It's kind of different. The concepts of things that are going on. But really, it's the same worship. It's the worship of Diana. It's the worship of Artemis. It's the worship of pleasure. It's hedonism. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh in abandon. And that's, that's exactly what's going on. They're complaining because it's been impacted by the number of people getting saved. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? That these, these trades were being impacted by people coming to Jesus. And so he said, now when they heard this, look at verse 28, they were filled with wrath. The people hear this. Oh, you're, they're trying to infringe on my freedom. I've, I feel free to do these things. And I can't believe that, 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 that when we're showing such tolerance to them, that they would have such intolerance toward us. And they were filled with wrath. And they cried out and said, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and they rushed into the theater. And the theater held between 20 and 50,000. I've sat in it. It's humongous. And so they, they start to fill up this theater. They're all coming down that big wide boulevard leading through town. And they're chanting, Great is Diana! Great is Diana! And they grab a couple of guys from the church who they're, they're trying to, to blame for the situation that they find themselves in. And, and they bring them down into the theater. And this was nothing new for, for Paul. Paul had been through things like this before. It says, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Man, it didn't take Demetrius very long to get a crowd fired up, right? They got fired up and they're not even sure what they're, what they're incensed about. They just know they're incensed. Have you seen anything like this? Because if you want to, all you really got to do is turn on the news. You've been paying attention to what's going on in Egypt, what's happening in Syria, things that are going on in the Middle East. All that it requires is one person beginning to make a lot of noise about what's going on. And next thing you know, you got a riot, people are dying, people are doing horrible things to one another as they just begin to express whatever they're trying to express. That's what was happening. Same thing. 
Mob rules, mentality taking place. Everybody rushing to the theater, dragging these believers down with them. The church was assaulted because lives were being changed and the world didn't like it. My garden, Kathy's garden is growing, but the weeds want to choke out the fruitfulness and they pop up everywhere they can. Don't they? And it's the same thing we're seeing on the pages of Scripture. Everything in the lives that were being changed was changed. Their value system was changing. The things they bought was changing. Their attitude toward the world around them was changing. Not because anybody was preaching the evils of all those things. Just because they're following Jesus. So we follow Jesus how we learn Him. How do we learn Jesus? That's where our focus needs to be. I get twisted up sometimes. I'll be honest. I get worried about all the things I need to not be doing. You ever done that? And I'm focusing on all the things I need not to do. And I feel defeated and deflated. And I feel like I'm not measuring up and I can't seem to do it right. And why can't I just get rid of this stuff and put these things out of my life and blah, 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 blah. And I'm focused on the wrong stuff. What do I need to be focused on? Jesus, period. Jesus, focus on Him. What did He teach? What did He say? How did He walk? How did He live? What did He do? Don't talk about what you think you know. Open up that book that's sitting on your lap and read it. It's right there. You don't need another book to explain it to you. Sit down and read what Jesus said, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, and mirror your life after that example. That's all i got to do. I don't got to worry about what I'm not doing or what I should be doing. i just got to do that. One thing, focusing on Him. And because these these people were doing that and the world around them was changing, the weeds are starting to try to choke it out. So they drag Him down. They drag Him in. They pull Him into the theater and they're doing all these things. So what are we saying? We're saying that when we see the, 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 the life of revival, confession, repentance, spiritual vitality, beginning to move in our midst, we can expect persecution. But that's not all you can expect. You can also expect peace. Remember I told you guys last week about my my granddaughter. She was having seizures. And uh, they did several tests. And at the end of all their tests, it's the news that you always love to hear from a doctor. They say, we don't know. Which is, it's not their fault. But they don't know, so, so she gets to go home. And I was talking to my son while all that was going on. And he had to leave his daughter there at the hospital, which pretty, would be a pretty hard thing to do, and had to go back to work. You know, and some of you guys have probably experienced that in your own lives. And, and so he's going back to work. And, I, and anyways, I got a hold of him while he's driving down the freeway. And I'm saying, well, I'm just asking him, how you doing, son? Everything okay? You know, um, and he said, you know, Dad... I got peace. I got peace. You know, he said, I don't know how this all ends and where this road takes me, but but I know God knows, and I got peace. I, I'm just trusting Him. Isaiah 26 is a verse you guys are going to want to put on your on somewhere where you can see it. Isaiah 26.3. Listen to what it says. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because He trusts in you. You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. 
You know a great way to keep your mind stayed on Christ? Follow Him. Follow Him. Go where He goes. Do what He does. Listen to His words. Follow Him. Guess what? Your mind will be stayed on Him. And He will give you perfect peace. I see all this chaos going on and they're grabbing guys from a church and and Paul's trying to get in. But what I don't see is panic in the church. The Bible doesn't talk about it. It talks about all the confusion and chaos and and it seems confusing, all the things that are going on. But the church is at peace. Even though the world brings persecution, if if you are following Jesus, you can expect perfect peace. You know how you say perfect peace in Hebrew? I'm going to teach you. You guys are going to learn Hebrew today. You ready? Shalom, shalom. Oh, that wasn't very hard, was it? That's perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. He gives perfect peace to the mind that has stayed on Him for those who trust in Him. Trust in Him, right? Those who believe and are following Jesus, their minds are stayed on Him and they'll have peace. They'll have peace. The church has peace. Even though the storm is raging, even though things are going on, there's peace. The city is filled with confusion. But not the church. But what else? Okay, we see persecution coming up. The weeds growing up. We see all this stuff happening. What else can we expect? I think we can also expect God's providential care. Paul didn't have to get him out of this. And Gaius, he didn't have to get him out of this. They didn't have to come up with some clever thing or say anything, did they? God had the whole deal in His hand. He had it all. What's the Scripture tell us? It says, The city city clerk quieted the crowd. Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Everybody knows all these things. You've been shouting for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Can you imagine doing that? I mean, I've been in a pretty heated football game before. And I've been excited. And I even jump up and down and shouted for my team. But for two hours? Can you imagine that? Two hours. 24,000 people in a stadium. Very similar. The theater is very similar to a stadium. Just shouting. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. What are they proclaiming? They're proclaiming their freedom, their, the debauchery of their lifestyle, the enjoyment that they're having as they celebrate these feast days. They're proclaiming all that, that they are in rebellion to everything. What does that show? Two things. It shows the distinction between the believer and the world. There's a distinction. There's a difference. And second, it shows a great need that the world has. Can you imagine being there with Paul and looking around? You've been working for three years and you've been stoked. We started all stoked about all the stuff God's doing and things are happening and people are changing and God's doing great things and all this cool stuff going on. But now at the end of this day, you're sitting in this theater and it's just full 24,000 people and they're all proclaiming their allegiance 
to the goddess Diana and to worshiping that lifestyle. I wonder if you sit there and, and for a moment, you know, we sing songs that say things like, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. I wonder if, if Paul's heart breaks a little looking at all those people. Thinking, oh, look at how big the job is still. Look at, look at how many are lost. Look at how many need to, to hear about what Jesus can do for them. They're confused. It's just a mob. They don't know what they're doing. They don't fully understand. They're just kind of freaking out. But I think it, it shows those two things. There's a distinction between God's people and the world. We don't look the same. We, don't, we aren't the same. We're not supposed to be. There's supposed to be a distinction, a difference in the way we live and in the way the world lives. But also, there's a, 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 an ability to see with God's eyes the need around them. Man, I think, I think it just shouts that. As God's providential care is coming, as God is delivering the church from the hands of the mob, at the same time He's showing them, look, look at them, look at them. Don't see them as, as people who hate you. See them as people who need me. Do you understand the difference? Because it totally changes my attitude toward a person. I look at somebody who's of a, a, a has a different value system than my value system. My my value system is is Christ. What he teaches, what he did. And I look at others and I think, you know, their value system doesn't line up and they, they don't like me very much. And they say things about me, but they don't know me. And then they say things maybe because that's the way somebody else told them. I don't know. But all these things go on and, and we begin to develop animosity toward the lost. And we start to think there, there's something wrong with them in there, which there is, but we start to think there's, you know, we start to look down and we start to hate and we start to despise and we start not to want to have anything to do with them and we get in a shouting match, shouting at the people on the other side of the street instead of showing them Jesus. The only people Jesus shouted at across the street were Pharisees. Sadducees. A couple of lawyers. That's it. Because he, not that he agreed with them, he, he saw with eyes of compassion, right? He saw the loss with eyes of compassion. I think, I think that's what's being revealed here to the church. They're seeing it. And you have this city clerk standing up and he's saying, hey, we are the guardians of, of Diana, this incredible temple. Man, nothing's going to happen. That's not ever going to change. They're still proclaiming that idea. Therefore, since these things can't be denied, you ought to be quiet. What are you people doing? The city clerk. For you brought these guys here and they haven't done anything. They, they haven't, aren't robbers of temples or blasphemers of your goddess. You just grabbed them out of the street and brought them here. What are you doing? If Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, let them go to court and deal with this lawfully. There are courts and proconsuls. Let them bring it to them. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it should be determined in the lawful assembly. Listen to what he says last. For we are in danger of being called in the question for today's uproar. Do you know what Rome did for riots? Ask the people of Jerusalem. They had riots there all the time. You know what Rome did? They came and marched the Roman legion around the city and they tore it down. 
And they slaughtered everybody in the city. And they taught the people, don't do that again. We don't like riots. So the city clerk tells him this. He says, look, we're going to get in trouble with Rome. And so he said these things and he dismissed the assembly. And that's the end. It just stops. It just stops. Well, that's not the end for us. We look at the, the concepts that we're talking about. The idea of spiritual vitality leading to a fear of the Lord within the walls of the church. And an attitude of confession and repentance in the walls of the church leading to an outpouring of God's Spirit all around them and unusual miracles and incredible things happening and people's lives being changed. And when that happens, like the rain of heaven falling on the garden of God, but the weeds start to come up to choke out the unfruitfulness. And as the weeds come up, you know what we do as we, as we see the, the plants of the garden becoming more uh, mature, we can see the difference. There's a distinction. And we can tell what's weeds and, and what's not weeds. And we can deal with, with what is a weed and what's not a weed. And we can see the need. Just like they could see the need. Listen, it, it's an energizing cycle because that leads us to spiritual vitality. Which leads us to the fear of the Lord in the church. Which leads to confession and repentance and a turning away from the things in our home that is holding us back. Which leads to an outpouring of God's Spirit. Which leads to people's lives being changed. Which leads to persecution and attacks coming from the world. Which leads to a peace that passes all understanding. God's providential care. Which shows us the need of the people around us. The need that they need Jesus, which leads us to spiritual vitality. It just keeps turning. See, that's the energizing cycle of the believer. As we look at that, just a few questions. We're going to close out. Just a, just a few questions to consider ourselves. How is our spiritual life going? Is it perpetual winter? Are we desensitized to sin? Are we doing some things that once upon a time we used to abhor, but now we tolerate? Well, do we smile and laugh at the things that break God's heart? Are we distinguishable from the weeds? Is it springtime in our soul? Is there, is there buds coming through in our garden? Are they pushing through to life? Are we seeing a turning from the darkness of the past? Is our life making a difference? Are we seeing things changing? People, God working in their lives in amazing ways. Do we find ourselves to be at odds with the world? Not because of our self-righteousness, but simply because we choose to follow Christ. Has our following the Lord changed the things we do? The things we buy? As we consider those those questions and we long for God's revival to burn in our life, my life, your life, the effect that that will have on our community. Occasionally, 
somebody will come needing help here at the church and they have just left a house that's filthy and the needle marks are still in their arms and they are in need of help again. And I have to battle with the cynicism that comes with trying to be a man of of wisdom and honor led by God's Spirit to do what God's asking to do, not what I think should be done. And to be a man of compassion. Or do I just see a dirty person that it would just be better off if they just moved out of our town and left? Or do I realize that what would be best is if they if they really met Jesus. They knew Him. If they made a choice to follow Him. And those marks and scars that this old life has had on them will fade away and things will change. Which is more powerful? Power of a changed life? Or my ability to chase the unwanted away and make things a little cleaner. Look better on the outside. God is calling us to make some choices. To choose to walk in spiritual vitality. To remain relevant, adaptable to the situations you find yourself in. To share the love of Christ with others. To be teachable, willing to serve, willing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. To learn what the fear of the Lord is. To be willing to confess and turn from those things that are holding me back. But the concept is not to focus on what I'm turning from. What's it to focus on? What I'm turning to. Jesus. And then to expect persecution. And to expect peace. And to expect God's providential care. And to recognize the need around us. And to continue to energize that cycle. Then we can impact our community. We can see changed lives. We can see the things that we long to see. But it it doesn't start out there, guys. The problem's not out there. starts in here in us when we say I've had enough with low living and playing the pretender's game and I want to surrender everything I am for everything he is man God will do some powerful things when the church repents and turns and becomes the bride she can be. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord God, I just thank You for an opportunity to study Your Word, Lord, to, to, to see God on the, on the page of Scripture and how You worked in that third missionary journey and how 
these things were centered in Ephesus, but they spread everywhere. God's people just became full of life. And that life affected the people around them. It drew lines of distinction. Those lines of distinction, they weren't blurry. They were sharp. The truth of God's Word remained the truth of God's Word. And it wasn't about interpretation. It was just about following Jesus. Going where He leads us. God, I pray that Your Spirit would lead us to that place God, that You would indeed have Your way in us, through us, as we reach out to the lost of people who need to know You. I, I can't. I can provide heat, and I can provide water, and I can help make the difference in some bills, but that, what's that? That's nothing compared to the need spiritually in the lives of people who are lost. That's nothing. They gotta, they gotta know you. And how will they know if we don't show it to them? Not if we don't tell them. If we don't show them. If we don't show them by our lives, if we don't show them by our words, if we don't show them by the way we conduct our lives, the way we live, the way we do business, whatever. If we show them the church in reality, who she is, why Jesus loves her, why He loves His bride, He loves the church. Why? Because He sees what she can be. God, I pray that it would be our desire to be what we can be, to experience what You have for us, Lord, to to be utilized, to reach our full potential. Not because of a self-help concept or a motivational speaker. But because we follow Jesus. God, I pray that You would do a work in and through us, Lord Jesus, for there are so many lost out there that need to know You. We have the truth and we have the answer. God, I pray we wouldn't focus on what we need to quit or what we need to stop or what we need to change. We just focus on following Jesus. And Lord, You take us there. You give us spiritual life and vitality. You teach us the fear of the Lord and You help us to repent and to turn. And You pour out Your Spirit and empower upon us, Lord God, that we might affect the world around us, Lord, that's Your way. And I pray, God, that You would do it, that You would bring Your way, that we would follow Your way. For it is Your way that leads us to the Father. God, I pray that You be glorified in this place, Lord Jesus, as we honor You in what we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.